We're continuing in a series uh, today on prayer. We're doing a few weeks here on prayer, and it is graduation weekend. So I'm sure that almost all of you, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, you probably know or someone or have some connection with somebody that graduated last weekend from college, this weekend from high school. Somewhere you probably knew that this was coming, right? It's, it's on your radar screen. It's graduation time period. How many of you knew that um, over the last couple weeks, you probably read in the news that there was a volcano happening somewhere, right? That in Hawaii, that there's been a, So I see a lot of head shaking. You at least knew that, right? That that was going on. Um, some of you, probably more aware than others, knew that there was a big wedding yesterday, um, early yesterday, and a royal wedding. Some of you might be thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not even on your radar screen, right? Even in the news, maybe you didn't catch on to there was a big royal wedding this weekend. Um, Prince Harry got married. Um, again, another news saying, this one's not fun, but another shooting, right, at a school in Texas. And our hearts break. And at some point, we've got to say something. What's, what's got to happen with this? What are we going to do? We can't keep ignoring some of this. I don't know what the answer is on that, but we've got to do something. It's, but you probably heard about these things. How many of you heard about this? Maybe you did. Maybe you read an article. Maybe you just skimmed over it. You really don't know what it means. But that the U.S. moved the embassy back into Jerusalem the capital of Israel. And some of you, I'm not saying this as a political statement, I'm not trying to make a political statement with this this morning, but I think it has some biblical proportions to it. This is a pretty important deal. And I looked at that. This is is something I dig into and look at. Now Hamas was not happy about this, and there was some bloodshed over that this week, of what happened with that. But it's not the first time that blood was shed because of Jerusalem and what went on there. Um, And we've got a story this morning that we're going to read through, um, a rebuilding story about Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Nehemiah. We're going to walk through the first chapter of Nehemiah this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you have your phone, I'd love for you to get your Bible app open. It's going to be on your screen, but I'd love for you to, to see it. And this whole idea of building, rebuilding. What is it new? What is in you? What are you working on? Maybe you're not a graduate. Maybe you didn't get, just get married. Maybe a volcano didn't hit your community. Um, but what are you working on? What are you building? What are you rebuilding in your life? If so, I think this prayer that we're going to look at by Nehemiah is something that we can learn from. So this prayer. And in the back of your bulletin, you can fill out some, um, an outline with that if you want to follow along that way. But I'll jump in here. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Gives a little introduction of who he is, his father, and then he says, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the city, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. So let's set the scene, all right? They're getting ready to share a problem with Nehemiah. So here is Nehemiah, he gives the year, he gives the time period, the exact time period, he gives the location of where he's at, and that his brother is traveling through, like family, if you're traveling through, you see somebody, you know, you're stopping in the community of the town where your relatives live, you hang out, you have some drinks, you have a meal together, here's his brother traveling through with some of his friends, and they sit down to chat. 
And Nehemiah says to his brother, Hey, you were just close to Jerusalem. I haven't been there in a while. I hear things aren't going well. What's going on there? What's happening in Jerusalem? What do the walls look like? What does the city look like? What's happening? He's asking this question. And his brother then gives him the problem. There is something happening there. Verse 3, it says, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, this is not a good thing. And Nehemiah cares about this city. It's his hometown. It used to be a strong city. It used to be a place of refuge for the Jews. Now there's no protection. Some of the walls are torn down. They're, they're laying on its side. The gates, there's not gates there. I mean, people can come and go as they please. There's no protection from the enemies. And it breaks his heart. Now, oftentimes, problems come as a surprise to you, right? Even when it's not a surprise, when you finally realize what the problem is, you're like, oh, I guess I didn't realize how bad it had gotten. Even if it's not a surprise, it becomes a surprise to you. Even if it had been brewing, your graduation for these students have been coming for a long time. And I wouldn't call graduation a problem, but it's a new, new thing in life to anybody that graduates. This is what you've been working towards. A volcano. Is it a surprise that it erupts? That's what volcanoes do, right? It had been boiling underground for a while. So, it, yes, it's a surprise, but now it has reached the surface. The fighting between the Israelis and the Hamas, that's been going on for a while. This is not a new battle or a new war, but yet it's new. It's been brought to the surface again this week because of events that have happened. And when you get to this point in your life, when something reveals itself again, there can be a sense of confusion. There can be a sense of being paralyzed. Now I don't know what to do. Now I have to step back. Now I have to think about it. What do I do next? And I have to plan. I have to think before I take my next action. What do you do? Some people prefer just not to know. Is that you? Have you ever been in that situation where you, I would rather not know, just keep my blinders on, I'm just going to keep going, I'm just going to keep living my life, I don't want to know about the problems that are happening. Mark Twain once said it this way, he said, all you need in life is ignorance and confidence. <laughs> I've thought about that, I'm like, there's a lot of truth to that, right? All you need is a little ignorance, a little confidence, and you can make it. Success is sure when you go that way. Oh, but when there's something that you really care about, when there's something that touches you in your heart, you want to know everything you can know about that situation. You want to dig deep, even if it's painful to hear, even if it's going to change your the life that you have built and developed. And you want to know. You don't want to be ignorant. Henry Adams said it this way, it's a practical politics consistent ignoring facts. However, Aldous Huxley came along and said, facts do not cease to exist just because they're ignored. What are the facts in your life? What's going on around you? What is happening that you need to face? Now, not wanting to face the facts or closing your eyes and ears, um, it doesn't change that there's still the facts, that there's still something there. And it's this knowledge that you can gain, that you can have about what's happening in your life that can get you to the next point. 
And this is what it did for Nehemiah. It drove him to what I see in his life as passion. And this develops in us as well, this passion. It does the same to us. The time period where we're paralyzed for just a little bit, we're not sure what steps to take next, but yet we know we've got to make a change. There's something that needs to happen. I might be confused right now, but yet I'm going going to do something. What is it that you do in the time period between the information that you get and the action that you need to take? I think it's passion that develops. It's what gives us that fresh start that we all need. And we all show passion in different ways. I think for, for some, it's, it's out there. Everybody sees it. Everybody can tell when you're passionate about something. Sometimes it's anger that comes out. Sometimes it's sadness that happens. How do you reveal that in your life? For some, it's to cover it up or to just go hide for a little bit. How do I escape this? How do I get away from this? And I think that's what Nehemiah did for just a little bit. While he prayed. His passion drove him to prayer. His passion drove him to cry and to pray. Let's let's look at this. Verse 4. It says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now I have to stop. And look at this, when it comes to biblical interpretation, when I, when I try to interpret this book and try to understand this, is the Bible telling us here that in order to pray properly, I have to cry? No. Is the Bible telling us here that in order to pray, I first have to fast? No. Is the Bible telling us here that when not Nehemiah heard this news, when he went to pray, he cried and he fasted? No. That's all it's telling us. This is what Nehemiah did. Now, would it be wise of us to maybe take some steps from Nehemiah and how he did it and learn? And maybe it would be a good thing for us to be moved to tears by passion, to fast. Not not as a fast of cleansing, but as a fast of passion. When have we gotten to that point? When has God put a burden on your heart so heavy that you wept about it? When has God put a burden on your heart that's so heavy that you said, I can't do this thing. And it's not just fasting from food. I can't do this over here until I solve this, until something happens, until I pray it through. Because there can be some joy that comes. There can be something that happens. So let this passion that's developing in you lead you to prayer. This is what Nehemiah did. I love the way verse 5 starts. I'm just going to say the first few words here. Verse 5. And I said, I think some versions, depending on what you're reading, it says, then I said. So at first, he heard the information. It drove him to change his heart, his passion. Then he prayed. And I have a feeling his passion, it was an audible prayer. He was probably praying out loud. You should try this sometime. Don't do it, you know, in your office where other people might be able to see you or wherever. It might sound strange. But find a place where you can pray out loud. Pretend like you're talking to God audibly. Pray. Get to this point where you pray. And then let's follow his prayers. First part of this prayer, verse 5, is recognition. He recognizes who God is. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant 
and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Let's stop there in the middle of six. We're going to stop there. I see this part. This is more, um, I see this as more for us than it is for God. This is part of the prayer that, that we need to do. I need to hear me say this more than I think God needs to hear me say it. It goes back to Jesus. When Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, He said, Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be their name. It's, it's a recognition of who God is. It's, it's putting God in His rightful place and putting me in my rightful place. And to start the prayer off like this is so important. In some parts of the country, um, I, I know it doesn't happen around here as much, but in some parts of the country, little kids, when they're addressing adults, anybody older than them, they say Mr. or Mrs. before they say even their first name. So it would be Mr. Devin, Miss um, April, when, when they would address me or April. Uh, for us, when we pray to God, I think there needs to be a sense of recognition of who he is before we start to pray. Jeremiah, in his book, as he is writing, he, he describes it this way. He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. He says of this, nothing is too hard for you. What if you started all of your prayers that way? God, nothing is too hard for you. He's going to say, yeah, I know. You need to remember that. As you pray, you need to remember who I am. The recognition helps set the stage for the rest of our prayers. Now, next, I know for me, I like to jump straight into then the um, request. Then God, do this for me. Then God, then I need this. And God, this is what I would like from you. But this is not where Nehemiah goes. The next part of his prayer is repentance. Um, look at the rest of verse 6, right in the middle. Verse 6, he says, I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes, that the rules that you have commanded from your servant Moses. This is a part we want to skip over. But man, it's so important for us. James chapter 5 reminds us the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now who makes you righteous? You? No. If the righteous man's prayers are powerful and effective, then when we pray, I think we need to receive that righteousness from him. We need to ask for that forgiveness, receive that forgiveness before we go on to pray. Otherwise, I can't promise that they're going to be powerful and effective. And you take this to Jesus. Don't bring those to me. This is between you and Jesus. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for you. And when he died, the, the curtain in the temple was torn into, giving us direct access to God. So you don't have to go through a priest or a pastor anymore for confession and for forgiveness. You can get that from Jesus when you pray to him. Jesus set that stage for us. Why do we need to do it? It's because sin kills. Sin is keeps us distant between us and God, and we need to get rid of that so that we can have open communication with Him. I think it also keeps us accountable. When I have to confess my sins to God over and over and over, 
pretty soon I'm thinking, I can keep confessing or I can just stop doing that thing. And if I stop doing that thing, then maybe I won't have to confess it so much. And I'm not tired of saying it over and over. It will keep me accountable for what I'm doing. I think it also brings humility. It brings us humility in our spirit. Again, it reminds us of who we are and who we're talking to. The one who can forgive. And notice Nehemiah included himself on this. It wasn't just everyone else. Oh God, look at all the sinners around me. No, it was me and my family as well. I'm there. Then he does this. The next part of his prayer is not the request yet. Not yet, but a reminder. A reminder, verse 8. Let's read it. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commands and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed, and by your great power and by your strong hand. Again, it's another reminder, I think, of some of the promises of God. Again, like the beginning of the prayer, I wonder if this is as much for us as it is as it is for God. He hasn't forgotten the promises that he made us. God doesn't need reminded of what he has promised us. I think there are times that I need reminded of what God promised. He made promises to us that he would never leave us, that he's going to provide rest for us, he'll direct our steps, that it's going to be worth it, that all things are possible through him, that he'll supply our needs, that we have nothing to fear, that he loves us. And guess how, guess how I know the promises of God? By reading this Bible. And if I don't know what his promises are, I need to be reminded of those by reading his promises. Therefore, when I pray, and I pray through the promises that God has given, I have to study this book to know what his promises are. I think he set this up for us to say, pray this way. When you pray this way, then you're going to remember what I have promised you already. So by the time you get to the request, you're there. Maybe you don't need much of the request because you've remembered the promises and who you're praying to. And finally we get to this, verse 11. He says, all right, God, then, then do this for me. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king, as he's referring to him. Now, he says, I was a cupbearer to the king. So this whole setup just to ask for success. And then he closes with this line, and it seems kind of odd. If you're reading it in yours, it's kind of just this little sentence all by itself. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Very important line that we can't skip over. This meant that he was an important person to the king. The king trusted him more than anybody else. Being the cupbearer meant that you got to taste, that you got to try all the food, all the drinks, all the wine before it made it to the king. So if someone was trying to poison the king, you were the only defense that the king had. The king had to trust you more than anyone else as the cupbearer. Nehemiah had that position. So when you pray, 
maybe our prayers need to be around the idea that we need God to put us in situations where we can make a difference. As I look at this, even before he prayed, God had already been setting this up. God knew where this was going. God knew what was going to happen. And he had already put him in that position. And now Nehemiah is asking God for the success. Pray that God will put someone in your life that you can have influence on. I believe they're probably already there. That God has known this and he's been setting this up. So maybe you just need to pray for your eyes to be open to see who it is. Pray that God will put you in the lives, in the path of somewhere else. And I believe he probably already has. It's a recognition of where you're at and what's going on. So I believe when we pray in this order, when we pray the way that Nehemiah did, it puts perspective of who's in charge, who's in control, where I'm at, what our roles are, to trust and follow the God who is already leading. When we finally make it to the request, we often realize that his plans are best. It's not my plans, but it's his that I just need to follow. And notice that Nehemiah didn't ask God to make the wall new again. God, just do it. A miracle. God, perform a miracle and make the walls new again. Notice he didn't ask for someone else to come along and repair the walls. He asked God to keep blessing for success in what he was getting ready to do. Now, let me, let me do this. I know this, chapter one, if we just stop in chapter one and you don't hear the rest of the story, you kind of miss, there's something missing on that. So I want to give you just a glimpse of the rest of the story. He eventually, Nehemiah went to the king. And he made a big request. He made a big ask. Beyond what anybody thought was reasonable. And the king said, yes. I'll support you in this. It was a great thing that he did. However, even when he did it, there was opposition. So Nehemiah now is getting ready to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But there was opposition. Some people didn't agree with it. And they backed out. And they said, we're not going to be a part of this. But there was a lot of planning that went into it. And he kept planning, even though there was opposition. And there was more prayer. This isn't the only prayer that you can see. In fact, 12 times in this little book of Nehemiah, you can find a prayer that he prayed surrounding the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. There was even more opposition. Even after prayer. Even more people opposed what was happening. Um, I like this. I saw this quote this week. Margaret Thatcher once said, You may have to fight a battle more than once to win. So true. You might have to fight a battle more than once before you win it. And maybe you've stepped into something and you didn't win the first time and you've gone back and you've done some more planning and you've done some more praying and you're stepping back into battle again because you know it's important. You know that's where God's leading you. He did some recruiting. He did some hard work. He did some more prayer before success finally happened for Nehemiah and the walls were built and the gates were put back in place. Where are you at though? Sometimes we have to remember that there are things that we rebuild and the rebuilding of something sometimes can be better than the original. And maybe God is asking you to rebuild something because he wants it better. Maybe that's you in your life. What is it in your life that you need to rebuild it might not be fresh and new, but you're going to help something to be better. Maybe for you, that's Jesus. 
in your relationship with Him. Where are you at with Jesus? Maybe it's a fresh start and a new build with you. Maybe it's a rebuilding with that. If it is, I would love to chat with you. I'd love to help you. I'd love to walk that through with you. Now, before I close, though, I want to talk a little bit about this church and where we have been. And i got to do it quickly here this morning. And if there's more that, that I can answer, I'd love to do that later. But I can safely say that this last year at Crestview could be termed a rebuilding year. I can honestly say we have not been in a building mode. We have been in a rebuilding mode this last year. Um, about a year ago, there was some opposition and some leadership styles in what was happening here at the church. And through lots of prayer, and I would say crying and fasting, we have walked through that as a church. Um, there's also been some excellent planning going on. And that's what I want to share with you. Some, some of the planning that has happened in the last year has been excellent through this time period. And the first thing that I think we've worked really hard at, and I'm excited about the future with, is our discipleship. How are we making disciples? What are we doing to help grow people in their relationship with Jesus? And this fall, we're going to um, launch a new method of how we're making disciples. Now, some of this is just going to be internal with some leadership. And if discipleship is a passion of yours and you want to help build and grow other people, come let us know so you can be a part of what's happening this fall. And then next year, at the beginning of the year, we're going to invite the whole church to be a part of something that's going to be really cool, I think, for the future of our church and to help people grow. You see, as a church, we don't want to just be a crutch in your spiritual life. We want to help you grow. So you can be on a growth plan, so that you can do this on your own. It's not about the church doing it for you. It's about the church helping you grow spiritually. The other area that we've worked really hard on is our um, level of leadership on the elder level. Um, our leadership of the church. We have prayed over the church. We have worked hard on um, studying, learning, researching from this book as well as some other churches and how it's happened um, other places. And we have worked on outlining a biblical understanding of what it looks like here at Crestview based on this book. What does that look like for us? A year ago, we said it would take six months to two years to relaunch our eldership at Crestview, and we're on track. We're on track with that. Things are going well with that planning and how our leadership team is working around that. We're following God on his plan. We're not coming up with our own. And hoping he blesses it. We hope that he, that we are following his plan with this. Now, the other part that we've worked hard on is our building as well. We have purchased property um, years ago. And we have been working on a phase one building program. Um, and I'm excited about this as well. 20,000 square foot building. Almost double from what we have here. And we're very close to having some drawings done to know what that final cost is going to be. Then we'll work on some of the finishes. And our goal, I can't make any promises, but our goal is within the year that we break ground on that new building um, and keep moving in that process of relocating. Um, we're working to continue to sell this building as well, this location. And um, I'm excited because we have talked to a couple different churches, and I think we've got a plan in place. We've got something in the works that... I can't tell you yet, but I'm just excited about it. I'm just excited about what we can do here while we relocate as well. And I think God has been working on this for years, and it's finally coming through 
the timing is going to be perfect for us on this. Um, just to let you know, we're, we're um, working towards a fall campaign for finances so that we can make that relocation. You're going you're gonna to hear more about that through the summer into the fall, and when we get here as a fall, that's going to be something that you're going to hear more and more about, um, but a campaign to help us raise those funds. Um, gifts that will go above and beyond to make it work for what we're doing now as well as that building. But it's going to take a team effort. Not just for all of that stuff, but all around. We've got spots left on these teams. We, uh, the building committee, the campaign committee, the leadership of the church, if that's something you would be interested in. Um, our missions team, we've got a trip happening this fall. Disciple making, if that's on your heart and you want to be part of making disciples with others and you want to be part of that thing that happens this fall, let us know. Our children's ministry here at Crestview, um, we've got some spots that you can be a part of and it can be bigger. You can be a part of something bigger than yourself. But here's what I know. Our mission is not changing as a church. Our mission isn't changing. Uh, we are still all about leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to do is to help people grow. We want to be a place where people feel comfortable coming to church for the very first time or coming back to church if they've been disconnected from church for years. A place where they feel comfortable, where they can discover Jesus for the first time or discover Jesus again. We want to be a place where we can help people grow. Once you get to that point where you can develop in your faith, you can grow in that Wherever you're at on your journey, we want to come alongside you and help you get there. And then it's not to keep it. It's to go on mission. It's to deploy. It's to take what we have learned and take it to the people around us. Our neighborhoods, our workplace, our family, our friends. What do you have that you can share with others? Man, I, I want to do this. I know the band's here. We're ready to go continue our service. I want to say a quick prayer with us as we close to keep us moving ahead, not only as a church, but also where God has you, wherever you're at in your life. So let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for your son. I'm grateful for who you are, for what you can do, that there, you, there's nothing's impossible for you. And God, yes, we know we come as a group of sinners this morning. We're not, we can't do it. But through your grace and your forgiveness, we can take that. And we can remember that you have made a promise that your church will not be defeated. So we choose then to follow your plan. Whatever that is, in our own lives, in a group as us, of us as a church, we choose to follow where you're leading us. Continue to take us there. Not success for us personally but success for your mission, your love, your grace, your concern for those around us. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys, let's stand together as we continue our service this morning.